Welcome back to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and today I'm joined by Tom Grunshaw, Emerging Cricket Correspondent at Large. Uh, once again, Tim and Bez are not able to join us. Both of them are currently in Vanuatu with the Women's East Asia Pacific Qualifiers coming up, which we'll get into in a minute. But uh, how's it going, Tom? Uh, thanks for having me on again, Nick. It's been a, been, a, been a couple of weeks and nice to be back. And yeah, things, things are going good here. How are you? Very well. I've uh, just moved to Denmark, uh, settling in nicely. Yeah, it's a nice time of year in Copenhagen. Uh, lovely weather. We're living near the canals. Just a nice, uh, nice part of the world. So think things are good. But uh, yes, lots of cricket. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to keep on top of it. So we're, we're doing a bit of a catch up. Uh, we currently have all five of the ICC regions are either currently. Uh, undergoing qualifiers or, or gearing up for them. So it's it's a busy time in women's cricket and, uh, well, cricket in general. Uh, so we'll start with East Asia Pacific. It's being hosted in Vanuatu, as we said. Uh, hopefully, uh, Tim is not pulling his hair out too much with uh, all the goings on, but uh, already some challenges in terms of logistics. <laughs> um, Probez was stuck with the Indonesian team uh, in Melbourne, uh, in theory, they were supposed to have got there a day or two ago, but uh, they've only just arrived due to uh, various complications with the flights. And so the schedule of the tournament had to be moved around because, uh, yeah, Bez plus Indonesia were, were stuck in Melbourne. So unfortunate from that perspective, but uh, yeah, a seven-team tournament running from the 1st to the 8th of September. Uh, we've got the hosts, Vanuatu, accompanied by... Indonesia, who've finally arrived, Papua New Guinea, Samoa, Cook Islands, Fiji, and Japan. It's being played as a single round robin, so each team is playing six matches, one against all of the other teams, and the top team will be progressing to next year's global qualifier, from which two teams will progress to the main event, uh, the 10-team Women's T20 World Cup, which will, of course, be held next year as well. So, lots going on. The tournament has started, uh, but... Before the tournament got underway, we saw, uh, I guess, a, a sort of a warm-up series between uh, Vanuatu and Japan. It wasn't super high scoring on the on the hybrid wicket, uh, but Vanuatu managed to get over the line in both of the T20s uh, pretty comfortably in the end. Rachel Andrew and Valenta Langiatu, two pretty familiar names, uh, doing the business for Vanuatu in the warm-up games, and then... Vanuatu, on the first day of play in the actual tournament, got one over Papua New Guinea, which hasn't happened so far in T20 internationals. And I, I, we'll have to check the records, or maybe uh, uh, certain listeners can uh, can correct us. But uh, I, I believe this is the first time they've beaten Papua New Guinea in at least in a decade, possibly more, uh, in official ICC cricket. So a big win for Vanuatu against Papua New Guinea, and it puts them in a really good position going into the tournament you know, Papua New Guinea tends to be their their biggest rival in the region. Obviously, Samoa uh, has has been strong in the past, although we don't know we don't know how they're looking. They they lost to Fiji in their first match, so it could be you know they're they're having a time of renewal with a number of new players coming into the team. So it might be that they're not such a, a strong challenger, and and Vanuatu are on their way to their first global qualifier. Yeah, it's a, a very interesting start to the tournament, particularly with this uh, upset win for, for Vanuatu over PNG. PNG came into this, uh, you would have said, as heavy favourites. But there's been a long gap between the, the last time they, they played this tournament. So the 
2021 East Asia Pacific qualifier was uh, cancelled for COVID. So you've got to look back to, to 2019 uh, for, for the last time the this so this tournament was played, where Papua New Guinea went undefeated uh, ahead of Samoa and Vanuatu. But that's you know turned on its head early doors, and it's you know Papua New Guinea could come back strong, but with only one team going through the the tournament's already very much wide open. And as you say, Samoa went down to Fiji on the opening day as well. So there's there's potential for quite quite a shuffling here. The other nice thing to uh, to note here is that the the Cook Islands are making their pathway debut for the women's qualifiers. Mm. The tournament last time out was six teams, uh, the same six teams, and then uh, the Cook Islands added on this time to make it a 17 tournament. So we've got another seven days of cricket to go, but a very very interesting start. And certainly there's quite a lot to keep an eye on here. Vanuatu could stay unbeaten. They would make the global qualifier for the first time. Yeah, also worth keeping an eye on Vicky Mansale, uh, seam bowler for Vanuatu, who's uh, relatively new into the side. Uh, I think she made her debut um, a couple of years ago, but sort of, sort of in and out of the team, but um, still only about 20 years old, I think maybe 21, and uh, already contributing uh, heavily with the ball. I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's Vanuatu's uh, qualification slot to lose now that, yeah, especially the... That the two rivals in Samoa and Papua New Guinea have have already stumbled. I think it's good to mention the Cook Islands. Their men's team did better than a lot of people probably expected in the the regional pathway event on the men's side uh, last year. So uh, yeah, it looks like the Cook Islands are, are a bit of a bright spot in the Pacific. And, and this tournament, I mean, it's the kind of thing that should be happening a lot more often. Is these teams meeting in, in official uh, ICC events? I know we've had uh, several kind of unofficial uh, or, you know, uh, multilateral tournaments organised between the various boards and, and the Australian government is uh, investing a fair bit of money into its uh, sport diplomacy program in the region, which is helpful as well on, on that front. But, uh, you know, these teams, um, they love playing each other. We've heard from Tim about the friendship between the teams and, and the sort of um, the, the common uh, Pacific culture and, and they love spending time with each other and, Obviously, the fact that they're playing each other a fair bit means that they're they're all getting better. You know, Fiji uh, in women's cricket in the past has been a little bit off the pace. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can keep it up. Um, Indonesia as well is is another one. Uh, hopefully, the uh, <laughs> the the disruption with getting there uh, doesn't uh, affect their on-field performance because. You know, as much as it, it, it looks like it's Vanuatu's slot to lose now, Indonesia, you know, their women's under-19s team made it to uh, the under-19s World Cup. They beat a full member in Zimbabwe. Um, so their women's program is, is on the up and up. And uh, just a bit of a sneak peek, there's a, a good article coming up on emerging cricket about Indonesia. So keep an eye out for that. Um, but uh, yeah, so hopefully they can put the, um, the the flight disruption behind them and, and focus on their on-field performances. And yeah, I mean this is this is a, a really uh, a really exciting region. I think it's also just worth pointing out. Um, some people have said that you know this is a huge upset. Papua New Guinea ranked number twelve, and, and Vanuatu I think in the thirties maybe. Yes, it's an upset, but at the same time I, I think the rankings are, are a bit suspect as we've discussed in the past and Papua New Guinea probably shouldn't be ranked 12 uh, and you know that's more a function of, of some of the quirks of the algorithm of the ranking system rather than necessarily being a true reflection of 
of the gap between the teams. Yeah, it's one of it's it's an interesting one. Uh, obviously, we look back at the last global qualifier. Papua New Guinea had quite a good run. I think they they finished fifth. They were ahead of Scotland, uh, but I think they they missed out on the on the on the playoffs by a a decent distance. But then, yeah, they have you know they've not been beaten often in the region. But the last time they had like, a, an ICC tournament was obviously four years ago. So there's a good time, a good amount of time for the shuffling of the uh, of the deck in between now and then. Uh, nevertheless, I do think this is still quite a, a significant result at this stage of the tournament. And we'll have to see how everyone else shakes out as the, the tournament goes on. Yeah, and Japan's also worth keeping an eye on. Uh, their women's program has, I guess, probably, you might say, stagnated over, over the last little while. It certainly hasn't had the same upwards thrust as the, the youth program, the, the men's youth program, which has been very successful. So... Uh, hopefully they can they can shake that off and, and put in a good performance here as well. Um, off to a good start beating the Cook Islands, but you know it's a team, basically the whole team's making their T20I debut, so maybe you can't read too much into that one. And yes, just to reiterate, this tournament will be run until the 8th of September, and the top team goes through to next year's global qualifier. Uh, Elsewhere on the global qualifying ladder, and uh, not too far away, hosted in Malaysia, we have the Asia qualifier, running the 31st of August to the 9th of September. Uh, this one's a big one, 11 teams split into two groups, crossover semi-finals determining the two qualifiers, so uh, a couple of really important sudden death matches between those top four teams across the groups. Good start to the usual suspects, UAE, Thailand, Hong Kong, Nepal, all looking good early, but, uh, you know, the hosts, having played two games uh, and lost two already, I think they'll be pretty disappointed. They were in a pretty good position against Nepal. Um, They had actually beaten Nepal in, uh, you know, a couple of of weeks ago. Uh, They played a quad series in Malaysia, basically a warm-up for this event. Nepal got home in the final over Hong Kong in that event, Uh, but it was pretty even between them, Hong Kong and Nepal. <laughs> Malaysia beat Nepal in, in that quad series uh, pretty comfortably, actually, on, on the last day of group play. And then they just couldn't repeat it in the in the game that counted in the qualifier. They lost by five runs after being three for 70 in about 16 overs, chasing 85. So, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> that I, I think you can only describe that as a choke, if we're being honest here. Yeah, it's uh, disappointing for Malaysia, for, for sure. And the way their, their fixtures have been structured, uh, that, that's that's the end for them, really. Their, their, their hopes of getting to the semi-finals are now very slim and reliant on, on someone else slipping up. UAE look to be some way ahead in this group, but based on uh, results in the past couple of years. And Nepal and Malaysia have looked very close. They played each other in the first game of the tournament. Nepal win narrowly. Uh, Malaysia have since lost to the UAE on the second day. So, so long as UAE and Nepal put away the, the three other teams in their group, which are Bhutan, Bahrain and Qatar, who are all, uh, on paper some way behind, uh, there's very little chance of Malaysia getting back into the tournament. So it's, it's, uh, they're on the, if they're not completely out of it, they're very much on the ropes already, despite, you know, getting themselves into a good position in that opening game. So quite quite a crushing place to be for them. Yeah, disappointing stuff. I think also, yeah, I'm not convinced about this scheduling. Usually in these tournaments, the ICC sort of tries to put the, the sort of the, the stronger teams clash towards the end of the group stage. So you're not in this situation where if you, you lose one early, you're, <laughs> you're basically out of it. Um, so 
yeah, that, that's that's maybe a bit of an oversight. But as you say, UAE looking good, good depth as well. Uh, we mentioned last episode, I think uh, England have uh, done what England often do and uh, poached uh, talent from overseas. They the UAE have to do without the services of Mahika Gore, who contrary to ECB. Uh, social media propaganda has actually taken wickets for the UAE in the past. The ECB trying to pretend that her wicket for England was the first time she's taken a wicket in T20 international cricket, which I thought was a bit uh, a bit shabby. But uh, you know, we we don't need to get too much into that. Um, but yes, as, as as you as you alluded to, the UAE do have a lot of depth in talent. Uh, you know, they're still looking good even without Mahika Gore. I mean, the UAE women are one of the exciting prospects in women's cricket at the moment. You know, they've got a strong talent pipeline and a, a, quite a number of players sort of in the early 20s, uh, even some teenagers who've all grown up in the UAE. They've all come through the domestic system. Same on the men's side, a whole bunch of young talent coming through. They're clearly doing something right. And I, I think they're a team that's on the up and up. And I I would expect them to make it through this qualifier to, to make it to the global event. Yeah, certainly. We'll we'll see how things pan out for sure. Um, there's still good teams in in this tournament still still in the running. Nepal still got to play UAE at the end of the group stage, and you've got Hong Kong and Thailand um, specifically in the in, in the other group. So there'll be there will be competition to make those uh, make those two qualifying spots. But uh, UAE certainly looking very strong at this stage, and you might expect that it's uh, UAE and Thailand that meet in the final and. Uh, Head on to the global qualifier based on based on what we've we've seen in recent times. And speaking of which, if we flick over to the the other group in this tournament, so Group B has got um, Hong Kong, Thailand, Kuwait, China, and Myanmar. Myanmar are making their their pathway debut, so another nice little uh, story there. But uh, two days, two match days in, as as things stand, Hong Kong uh, are two from two. Thailand and Kuwait have both played one game and and won. Uh, and it's two two defeats for China and Myanmar, uh, so they're they're looking out of the running. Kuwait were also involved in the Malaysia Quad Series in the warm ups, uh, as uh, has been mentioned, and we'll we'll, we'll touch on further. Uh, they lost all four of their games there, so they're probably not going to push uh, Hong Kong and Thailand. Uh, so perhaps Hong Kong and Thailand are are playing for first and second and getting a a, a more favourable semi final um, as as things stand. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Um, just on Q8, though, yes, they came last in that quad series, but um, uh, their, one of their bowlers, Mariama Haider, left-arm spinner, topped the wicket tally in that uh, in, in that tournament. So good effort from her. Hopefully we'll see a bit more uh, from Q8 in this tournament. But uh, yes, as you say, um, I, I think Thailand and Hong Kong probably too good. Uh, a bit disappointing to see China really seem to be slipping. Uh, they lost to Kuwait in their first match by 30 runs. Uh, Shu Li Jin did take 5 for 15, so so good from her. But, um, yeah, the, the batters couldn't chase 83. Uh, so, yeah, a bit sad to see China falling back so far after, you know, you think back to before COVID and the, you know, shut borders policy that sort of isolated Chinese cricket from the rest of the world for, for a number of years. You know, they were one of the teams that were pushing behind the sort of Thailand and Nepal's of the Asian group. And, you know, they were beating Hong Kong on occasion. And, and uh, you know, we saw in the <laughs> the grudge match at this tournament, uh, Hong Kong won pretty comfortably. Tash Miles uh, getting some runs, uh, Mariko Hill bowling well. So I think China have been sort of set back 
a fair bit in in the time that they weren't playing, and, and that is that is disappointing for the region. But you know, as you say, there's other teams coming up to take their place. Q8 seems to be improving at least somewhat, um, and Myanmar playing their first pathway matches. I, I think yeah, an interesting little uh, thread here. Myanmar played against Singapore before the tournament uh, as I guess a, a warm up as well. They beat Singapore three nil, uh, which is maybe unexpected because you know Myanmar haven't played a whole lot. Uh, of women's cricket uh, of late, at least, and and even the cricket that they have played, you know, they've they've tended to be losing quite heavily. So, uh, what does that say about Singapore's women's team at the moment? Uh, they're not in the qualifier, and they've lost to Myanmar three nil. Yeah, so that's that's disappointing, especially since their men's team is sort of uh, at least middle of the pack in the Asia region. So, yeah, maybe maybe Myanmar getting better, or maybe Singapore slipping. Yeah, it's interesting not to see Singapore at this tournament when they they've put out a team in a bilateral series. But maybe there's there's something there that we're we're not um, fully clued up on. And yeah, on on China, uh, I guess you you add in as well that sort of weird Asian game situation where they've withdrawn from a tournament they're hosting and and uh, Mongolia have stepped in to fill their place. It it's quite sad really for uh, for Chinese cricket. Obviously, this is an area, a, a region in itself, perhaps, that the ICC could really be investing in and, and pushing. But I guess there's not perhaps the drive there uh, at a grassroots level to, to get it off the ground, certainly not at, at the current time, perhaps post-COVID. Yeah, it's it's a funny one. The, the men's team has always been, you know, they've always struggled in the Asian region, but the women's team were, were a bright spot a few years ago, but that really seems to have faded. So, yeah, hopefully they can... Uh, they can turn it around, and I mean, you would think hosting something like the Asian Games would be a good opportunity to generate a bit of grassroots interest. But you know, if the national team's pulling out, presumably because they're worried about, um, <laughs> you know, not not making any medals, I, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't bode well, does it? So, as you say, I, I think Group B is uh, probably at this point a pretty straightforward shootout: uh, Thailand and Hong Kong trying to get that uh, that first spot in the group and maybe a slightly more favourable semi-final draw. Uh, the semi-finals will, of course, be played on the 8th of September and that will determine who qualifies to the global qualifier and the finals on the 9th of September. But, you know, it's it's one of those uh, finals that sort of doesn't really matter because the, the two teams will have qualified anyway. Something of a showpiece at the end. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're fun, but yeah, I mean, they're not very... Uh... Not consequential. And the next cab off the rank in terms of uh, women's regional qualifiers will be the African Division 2, which is being played between the 2nd and the 8th of September. We have Botswana, Cameroon, Eswatini, Kenya, Lesotho, Malawi, Mozambique, Sierra Leone. All of these teams are playing in Botswana and we're seeing the pathway debuts of Malawi and Lesotho in women's cricket. A similar structure to the Asian one, split into two groups, crossover semifinals, winners of both semifinals move up to Division 1, which is being held in December. This is an interesting one because it, it, it has a mix of yeah new teams in Malawi and Lesotho, but also uh, a team like Kenya, which has really sort of fallen off the radar uh, after being one of the better women's teams in the region, and, and now they've dropped down to Division Two, and um, you know Botswana, they they do tend to struggle as well, even though they they often do make it up to the next level in in African regions. So, uh, you know, on paper you'd imagine Botswana and Kenya are favourites, but 
you know, both of those teams have uh, really fallen away in, in, in recent years. And, and it'll be interesting barometer of the sort of second tier of, of African women's associate cricket. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, this is this will be quite a nice tournament. Uh, and obviously, this is the first time that the African region has been split into two divisions for, for, for a, a, a women's qualifier. We had the uh, the Europe qualifier also split into two divisions earlier in the summer. Uh, but just to, to add, so the teams that have already gone through to Division 1, uh, there are six of them. So Namibia, Nigeria, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda and Zimbabwe. So the, the final two teams there will make it up to, to eight teams in, in, in Division 1 with two of those then going on to the global qualifier. But uh, And it's a topic we, we, we touch on a lot, but I think this just speaks to the, the depth and, and, and the growth of the mm. women's game in Africa. Uh, that it just seems to be accelerating uh, away at, at such a rate. There's 14 teams um, competing in the pathway, not including South Africa, obviously, who who, who qualify directly to the to, to the World Cup. So yeah, it it, it again, it, it's just testament to a, a really good job by the administrators of, of the game in Africa that the women's game is is growing so quickly, and you know it's the largest of of these um, regional qualifiers by by you know a good couple of teams. Yeah, Africa is. Definitely hotspot of uh, of cricket, both in men's and women's cricket at the moment. We might touch on a men's tournament that's also going on, but yeah, you know, we've seen uh, the Kwabuka go from strength to strength on the women's side. There's a range of tournaments that are played at regional level. You know, Nigeria uh, hosting Namibia has been touring Europe in recent times. So there's a lot of exciting stuff going on in African women's cricket. And as you allude to, hugely competitive region. So... You know, the two teams that make it out of here, they're going to have their work cut out to uh, to make an impact at the main event. And one thing I would also sort of mention is that I think it's really nice that they have this divisional structure because it allows so much more pathway cricket to be played. And I, I guess, you know, looking forward, you would think that Asia could probably manage to have something similar. Um, you know, they have a lot of teams in the region and a pretty decent amount of depth so i can't see why asia couldn't do something similar in the future as well so yeah i, th- I think it's a good uh, a good structure as well to to be seeing this um, two-step divisional process and and just allowing more teams to get on the ladder yeah you, uh, as you say you get more teams in and you also get uh, a much better concentration of the standard of the team so we, we talk about the two teams that are coming into the the pathway for the first time malawi and lesotho and um, they're obviously going to be playing against teams that are, are closer to their level. It would be, you know, uh, throwing them in the deep end if it was a, a single division and, you know, you, you picked out Zimbabwe or, or, or Namibia on the first day. Uh, so a, a better way into it. And hopefully we can see, you know, this continue in, into Asia as well. Obviously, Asia's got 11 teams in, in one qualifier, as we, we, we've touched on. And maybe we can see more sub-regional groups groups in the future as well which uh, as the as the pathway expands there's obviously some teams that are are not yet at a standard or, or a level of structure to be at this icc qualifiers just yet yeah but i mean think about imagine if south africa had to play these tournaments you know yeah i just think there's so much potential obviously uh we we talk about africa being a being a great growth area for cricket but it, it's also just in terms of you know growing the game as a spectator sport which is sort of nominally the ICC's uh, product you know international cricket 
there's a lot of good cricket being played in the region and, and a lot of very entertaining cricket, um, some good regional rivalries. So, you know, it, it just seems like they're, they're missing a trick to not have all the full members being seated back into the regional qualifying and, and making it a real celebration of the regional game. Would be would, would be fantastic, especially as well. You could have them, the South Africa or, or, or whoever really drop into into a Division One or a global qualifier, however, however you might want to set it up and, you know, bring those extra eyeballs down from the full member game which obviously in, in, in itself the, the women's game is obviously attracting a lot more attention and that would be a, a great way to shine light on, on onto an even greater number of teams but uh, alas it's not the not not the icc's way of doing things yes but it, it should still be an entertaining tournament uh, africa women's division two being played between the 2nd and 8th of september in botswana as we said uh, the hosts Botswana plus Cameroon, Eswatini, Kenya, Lesotho, Malawi, Mozambique, and Sierra Leone. I, I think the other uh, maybe point to keep an eye on is Cameroon. Um, we, we've seen a couple of these um, sort of traditionally francophone nations starting to make their way in cricket, which is uh, a great development to see with with teams that haven't had such a historical connection to cricket. Um, you know, picking up the game and and sort of fitting into the regional structure. Hopefully, they can make more of an impact. And of course. Uh, Maeve Duma is in the team again of uh, of four Mancads fame. Um, so hopefully we see a few more bowlers and runouts uh, in the tournament. Yeah, and uh, hopefully that uh, if we get that happen again, we've got a good enough quality of stream that it can be clipped and uh, circulated on social media. Yes, what a hero. <laughs> hero for, for Mancad lovers everywhere, Maeve Duma. <laughs> I guess we could probably call them uh, Dumas from now on. But... Uh, Yes, moving on, we have another two uh, regional qualifiers to look at. The next one in the Americas is the 4th to the 11th of September. It's being hosted in LA. Uh, the same four teams as the last event. We have USA, Canada, Argentina, and Brazil in a double round robin uh, with the top team advancing to the global qualifier. Last time that team was the USA, although Brazil was very close behind and uh, Canada really... Uh, had a, a pr- pretty dismal time of it, and yeah, Argentina also really struggled. Uh, you know that that tournament was hosted in Mexico. Uh, this one is home turf for the Americans, so I guess you you would maybe think that uh, the US should be able to pull through again. But uh, uh, one interesting little uh, wrinkle is the ICC's. Uh, I, I guess the first documented case of a transgender athlete being selected according to the ICC's eligibility criteria. In the Canadian squad, it's a uh, it, it's it's a complex topic that um, I, I don't think we're really able to do justice to. So we'll we'll just sort of flag that as one to watch, Daniel McGay. Um, but yeah, I, I think the USA is still favourites. Um, but uh, you would imagine the, that Brazil, assuming they've uh, kept improving as they have been in recent times, yeah, Brazil probably have a pretty good shot of uh, of knocking the US off off the perch. Yeah, I think more more than anything, uh, this is a will be a good yardstick of where the other three teams in the region have got to over the last two years. Uh, when when we look back at the the tournament in Mexico two years ago, I think USA might have dropped a game, but they were a, a good way ahead of the other three on the field, even if they didn't win everything. And we had quite a competitive um, run between Canada and Brazil. Uh, and, and perhaps you don't want to be reminded this, Nick, but uh, Canada did drop a game needing one run and uh, or, or two runs and lost five wickets without scoring yes. uh, to lose that game to Brazil. Mm. We, we don't need to talk about that one. So 
yes, where where those uh, where, where those three teams have been over, over the last uh, couple of years, and obviously we've seen Brazil and Argentina play each other a couple of times. Brazil still look like the, the stronger of the two teams there, but um, as I say, a, a good way of um, of measuring the progress of those three teams uh, and to see how much closer they are to the USA. Yeah, and I mean the USA beat the West Indies women's team uh, not too long ago in a in a bilateral series. So you know, there's there's a lot of quality in the Americas that is just waiting to come through. You mentioned the previous time uh, the US dropped a game. Uh, they lost to Brazil in one of the matches. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if Brazil can get it together, I think they're, they can give it a pretty good go. Yes, yeah, so and we'll have to see. Obviously, there's a, a, a double round robin, so plenty of time for, for each team to, to make their case. They'll all get six matches each. Uh, there's only one team advancing to the to the globals out of a, a fairly small tournament, so it could be still quite cutthroat at the top end, especially if Brazil or Canada have closed that gap. And just reiterating that tournament being held between the 4th and the 11th of September in LA. Now, the final one of the regional qualifiers in the next little while is the Europe qualifiers, the 6th to the 12th of September. Scotland, Netherlands, France and Italy with the top two uh, advancing to the global qualifier. You know, Scotland, you would imagine, are pretty much the favourites for this. Netherlands, last time, there was a pretty big gap between them and France. So, you know, you, you might think Scotland and Netherlands are, are basically sure things to go through. But, um, you know, there's no Ireland in this tournament. Uh, last time it was Scotland, Ireland, Netherlands and France. So it'd be interesting to see how Italy goes, especially against a, a team like Scotland, who, who, sh- who in theory should be pretty dominant here. Yeah, and uh, particularly as well, Scotland, since the, the, the last time they turned out at a tournament like this, have um, started receiving some semi-professional contracts as well, um, on top of having a few professional players in the English domestic setup. So they, if uh, professionalism has done for them what it's done for Ireland, um, should be perhaps a step further ahead. Uh, Netherlands uh, played a T20i series against Ireland not that long ago and looked some way behind so i think they'll still be more than good enough to 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 beat france and italy but uh, i think scotland could be could be a good step ahead of them here as well how the how the other two teams france and italy do here will be quite interesting to see obviously italy put out a a, a much more experienced germany side in the in the sub-regional qualifiers and mm. what got quite close and quite dramatic on the on, on the final couple of days um, and Jersey, Jersey also missed out on, on, on this tournament to Italy. So how those two compete with each other, um, a, a, as well as Scotland and the Netherlands, will be will be quite interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, as you allude to, Scotland um, should probably beat all these teams comfortably. I, I think just one thing to keep an eye on is how they do outside their sort of county talent, you could call it. Um, you know, the Brass sisters, Abtar Maksud, um, you know, players like that who who are playing in England regularly, who who's going to step up from the rest of the team? Because in the past we've seen Scotland do tend to struggle when you know those that sort of core of the team is not available or or if they don't perform. Um, so this is maybe a good opportunity for some of the sort of lesser lights of of the Scottish women's setup to make a case as as more reliable contributors uh, in a in a tournament where. I don't want to say the pressure's off, but you know, with two slots available and France and Italy playing, you you you'd have to imagine they would need to really mess it up to <laughs> to not qualify. Um, and yeah, I mean the Netherlands, as you say, they lost pretty comprehensively to Ireland in their bilateral series recently. 
they but they yeah they they thumped France last time in the in the equivalent matches uh, we all remember Frederick Overdyke taking seven wickets in that game and yeah I mean Italy yes they they got past a couple of other teams Germany uh, who were also at the previous qualifier and Jersey whose women's setup is is quite impressive so you would think they they'd make a pretty good fist of it against France but um, yeah I think Scotland and Netherlands are, are pretty uh, uh pretty pretty nailed on favorites yeah and uh, looking at things both sides both scotland and netherlands look quite close to if not at full strength scotland have got access to uh mo- most of their professional players and uh stair is also uh in, in the netherlands squad having been released from her domestic team in england so perhaps no um mandatory release issues here in the women's game just yet but uh but who knows how long it stays that way so yeah just to reiterate again four teams in this tournament is being played from the 6th to the 12th of september in desert springs in spain so a neutral host for this one uh, and the top two teams are advancing to the global qualifiers uh now on that as we've sort of mentioned earlier on there's a couple of extra berths going in the global qualifiers this time around. Um, there will be 10 teams competing at uh, the tournament next year, uh, which is up from uh, from eight two years ago, with an extra berth available uh, for Asia, Europe and Africa, which sort of uh, reflects the, the strength and the depth in, in, in both of those regions. So it's, it's good to have a slightly expanded pathway. And it's also quite good that we still have the global qualifiers, which is not something that we can say for the men's game because they are typically our favorite tournaments alongside the the ODI World Cup qualifier. But on the other hand, it is rather outweighed by the idea that the Women's T20 World Cup is still going to be 10 teams at the end of next year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty embarrassing, to be honest, because, you know, you look at the Women's World Cup in the past. In 1997, there were more teams at the Women's World Cup than either the 20 or 50 over editions currently have, which is... 10 for 20 overs and, and eight teams for 50 overs. These are being gradually expanded. I think from 2026, the T20 World Cup will have 12 teams. So Yeah, it's only 12, which is uh, it's still quite insulting. 30 years later, they'll have one extra team, which is, mm. yeah, I mean, it's just not good enough, really. There, there is definitely enough depth in the women's game to justify more teams and more opportunities. It's, yeah, it's 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 frankly embarrassing that, it, you know, you look back to competitions so long ago and they were still more inclusive. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, we've made this point before, but it, it really is ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. And uh, especially when you compare it to the men's game as well. And we, we talk about T20 being the, the global growth vehicle, but we also need to look at women's cricket as being a growth vehicle. And you can see that in Asia and Africa, the way that the game is growing. But next year... In June, the Men's T20 World Cup will have 20 teams. In October, when the Women's T20 World Cup comes around, that'll have 10, so half. And and, and you, you can sort of see why people think the ICC is failing the women's game when you can see that comparison in, in broad daylight, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not so militant. You know, some people make the case that the ICC taking over women's cricket sort of late 90s early 2000s they well ostensibly they merged with the women's cricket administration but it was more or less a sort of they got absorbed into the ICC setup and I think on balance that's allowed more investment and funding for women's cricket but 
there are certainly people who think that the old sort of women's only administration was doing a better job. And I mean, stuff like this, it really does feed that narrative when, you know, why is a governing body that ostensibly is talking about how women's cricket is an important part of their growth strategy, yet, yeah, we're still stuck with 10 team events. It's, It's really embarrassing. Yeah, and it's it's not even a particularly difficult thing to fix. Like, I don't think there's any you know re- restrictions on how many games you could have at a, a, a women's T20 World Cup. But if you wanted to get more teams in quickly, you, you could do what? Well, I mean, we berated the format that the the men's T20 World Cup had for quite some time with the the two tiered system. But if you wanted to, you know, quickly bump up the women's T20 World Cup to, to 16 teams. Well, why, why not do it like that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options. Um, there's that if you want to have, you know, if you <laughs> if you have to be, uh, you know, weeding out the weak teams early, uh, if that's kind of the, the priority, then you, you can have that like sort of pre-group stage thing. Um, but I mean, I would encourage listeners to go back to our uh, interview with Bertus de Jong where we discuss tournament formats and basically there's an unlimited world of tournament formats where you can balance various priorities and and have an inclusive tournament that also has you know the big budget teams play a lot of games and and various other things and but it just seems like no one at the ICC is uh, really thinking about it in in a particularly creative way so we end up with these sort of situations but uh yes as as you say, um, it's a topic we've talked about, and I'm sure we'll uh, mention it again. But the the global qualifier should be an excellent tournament, and that's uh, that's coming up next year. Uh, just a quick note on one of the teams at that 1997 World Cup, uh, Denmark. Their women's team in 1997 uh, actually beat Pakistan, so that's a nice little feather in their cap. Uh, but Denmark have recently uh, revived their women's team after a long hiatus in the Nordic Cup, uh, so the women's version of a tournament that has been played a few times uh, on the men's side. That was between the 25th of August and the 27th of August. Uh, it involved uh, yeah, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Norway, and Estonia, or you know, Finland 11. I think there were some eligibility issues, so the matches involving Finland were not official T20Is, but all the rest of the matches were. Uh, these matches were being played, of course, Finland. Um, yeah, so Sweden won the Women's uh, Nordic Cup pretty comprehensively. They won all five of their group matches. It, it was a slightly convoluted tournament. Estonia only played three matches. Norway played six. Denmark played Sweden twice, which, I mean, I guess that's the <laughs> the historical grudge match. So maybe they wanted to, to maximize that. But um, yes, yeah, slightly strange schedule. Disappointing that uh, Denmark uh, lost to Sweden a couple of times. That's that's always a sore point for them. But um, yeah, good, good to see this tournament running on the women's side after being pretty successful on the men's side. Um, and yeah, good to see Denmark's women coming back on the field. Just yeah, it is it is a bit disappointing that it's taken them a number of years of yeah of hiatus before they're actually able to get a women's team going again. Um, so hopefully this is a, an encouraging step in the right direction rather than a you know flash in the pan. But uh, yes, uh, the Nordic Women's T20 Cup won by Sweden uh, last week. Yeah, and it, it, an interesting tournament and uh, not perhaps a straightforward one as as you alluded to. Um, there was not a round-robin group stage or, or anything of the sorts. The teams played a varying number of matches. Estonia only played three, of which they completed two. 
compared with Norway, who played six, and made perhaps even more complicated by Finland not having an official 11-up. Uh, so they, those games aren't counted as women's T20 internationals. But nevertheless, yeah, Sweden looked very much the strongest team. And Estonia making their, their women's T20 international debuts in, in the process as well. So a nice little feather in their cap and another team added to uh, a, a growing number in Europe who, who are actively playing internationals. So great to see all around. Yeah, I, yeah. so two teams making their uh, official women's T20I appearances for the first time. Denmark, uh, as, as we alluded to, although they had played uh, women's ODIs uh, as, as late as the 1980s. So uh, again, uh, nice to see them back on the field after a, <laughs> quite a hiatus. But uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what the deal is with this you know, strange format. I don't know why a regular round robin wasn't doable but uh you know nice to see them playing at least um and elsewhere in european women's cricket uh, austria hosted guernsey for four matches the visitors won 3-1 so actually in my opinion a pretty good effort from austria to get a single victory against guernsey who are uh, pretty far ahead of them uh, in uh, in quality uh, in in recent times, um, so so good effort there, and and nice to see them playing. That was between the 27th and the 28th of August, with two matches per day. And just coming up, we have a four-team uh, women's quadrangular tournament being played in Corfu in Greece. So uh, a lovely destination for the teams uh, there. That's going to be between the 4th and the 9th of September, and it involves the hosts, Romania, Serbia and Luxembourg, who are making their women's T20R debut. So uh, more women's cricket on the continent. Yeah, and um, we, we, we talk about this a fair bit, but it's obviously easy for the European countries to do this. They're all close and, and densely packed together, and there's good transport infrastructure, which means we are seeing uh, an increasing number of men's and now women's bilateral series and sort of friendly tournaments taking place throughout the course of our our summer, which obviously means there's a lot of cricket going on uh, and, and lots to cover. Yeah, and uh, I, I think, you know, good on them for utilising the fact that they're in close proximity. You know, teams like Malaysia host a lot of cricket because they're an airline hub, so it's nice to see the Europeans using their geographical advantages as well. Um, so we've covered a lot of women's cricket. Moving now to the men's side of the game... And the big story this week is Nepal at the Asia Cup. It's their first appearance for about a decade at the event. So nice to see them back. They played their first match against Pakistan in Multan. Uh, big win to the hosts. You know, I, I would say, if we're being honest, Nepal, they looked a bit overawed. Uh, they, they didn't quite know what to do when, uh, you know, the big partnership and, and um, some world-class batters in that Pakistan team. They they got a couple of early wickets. Uh, Somkhal Kami bowled very nicely early, but, uh, yeah, once once the Pakistanis got going, they didn't really know what to do about it. And, and I think they, they just looked a, a bit outclassed. But, you know, more exposure at this level, and, and I think... There's some some uh, some hints that they could definitely get better. Yeah, no, I think they made a fairly bright start in the game. They got an, a fairly early wicket, sixth over the, or there and thereabouts, and I think there were a couple of direct hits as well. So the fielding was uh, up to standard. But I guess you look at that Pakistan team, and they're they're number one in the ODI rankings. I know everyone knows that's a bit of a a poor metric for the teams, but you can see Pakistan are playing very good cricket and they were a class above. Barbara Azam went on to make 150. So when he gets in that kind of mood, 
of what 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 can you do about it? Pakistan went on to make 342, uh, and Nepal, in in reply, were bowled out for a little over 100. So it was a really big defeat, but there were a couple of hints of class with the bat for for Nepal. Sonpal Kami and uh, Arif Sheikh hit a few nice shots before getting out for, uh, well, after making starts. Uh, And then this Asia Cup is a little bit ridiculous for more reasons than than just uh, the the regular ones, because Nepal's second game is against India, which is in Kandy on the 4th (laughs) of September. Kandy being about 3000 kilometers away from Multan, so not not, not necessarily a short flight. And barring a, you know, kind of miraculous result against India, that's their Asia Cup. A few very long flights and uh, playing the two toughest teams in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think you're being a bit harsh on the scheduling here because we all know that the whole point of the group stage is to maximize the India versus Pakistan content and uh, you know someone has to be the the sacrificial lamb to to ensure that so uh, Nepal's playing that role um, uh, yeah look it's um the, the the fact that the Asia Cup is being held at all I think is is a win at this point you know all the chest thumping nationalism about how it has to be hosted in Pakistan and you know maybe India was going to refuse to play and Jay Shah being head of the ACC, but also head of the BCCI and, and all, all that stuff going on in the background. The fact that they've reached a compromise with Pakistan and Sri Lanka hosting, you know, it's not ideal. I think it might be the monsoon season in Sri Lanka, so that's maybe not the, the best location. But the fact that the tournament's happening at all is a win at this point, and, and I'm, I think we can be pretty happy that it's it's on. And yes, as you allude to, the the scheduling's a bit silly, but I don't know. I mean, the the ACC, these matches, the India-Pakistan stuff, yes, it's all very artificial, and, and they <laughs> they very much rigged the draw to ensure that we see the matchup. But at the same time, they reinvest the, the money from these matches pretty effectively into regional development and you know, pathway tournaments at the ACC and the ACC women's stuff that they do and underage competitions. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of willing to give them a bit of a pass on that because, yes, it's about money, but the money actually goes into something a, a bit more productive in terms of development work. So it's 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 worthwhile, I think. Yeah, I, t- I suppose. Well, it, it's always the, the associate qualifier that, um you know, get gets lumped in with uh, India and Pakistan. <laughs> yeah, funny how that works. The same groups every year, it, it, it seems, you know, almost rigged. Yeah, it's, it's pretty transparent, but, you know, it, it's for a good cause. So, you know, uh, but yes, as you allude to, um, I mean, Babra Zam's a world-class batter. Iftikhar Ahmed started bashing them around. Eh, you know, that, that happens. The the you know they'll, they'll learn from that. Arif Sheikh uh, hit some yeah as you say some pretty nice shots. Unfortunately, they just couldn't really get any partnerships together. Um, you know Shaheen Shah Freddy was a bit too much to handle at the top for guys who you know they're not used to facing that level of quality fast bowling. This this kind of thing happens with associates when they run into uh, high ranked full member teams. And um, you know as we see we've seen with the Netherlands. The only answer really is to play more matches against high-ranked four-member teams, and you'll get better. Yeah, on such an it would be we 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 talk about why, but it would be nice if uh, Nepal could get games against Afghanistan or Bangladesh or Sri Lanka this way, but that that's the nature of the Asia Cup, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I think they would be pretty competitive against that sort of second level down of uh, of Asian four members, but uh, alas, not to be. Um, 
Thanks a lot for your time, Tom Grunshaw. Great to talk to you as always. Pleasure as ever, Nick. And thanks a lot to our listeners for tuning in and hearing about the wonderful cricket that's going on this week in the emerging world. And uh, remember that you can, of course, keep up to date with all the latest news and events in the emerging cricket world by following Emerging Cricket on your favourite social media platforms or logging on to emergingcricket.com. That's it for now, and we wish you all the best wherever you are around the cricketing world.